Hi there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of E Pluribus Unum. I am your host, Emily, and this is a podcast where I share my thoughts on culture, news, politics, Jewish ideas, on a little bit of everything, all for the purpose of bringing people together, which is where the name E Pluribus Unum comes from. It is Greek, and it means out of many... Oh, no, it's Latin, sorry. And it means out of many, one... And if you've never heard E Pluribus Unum before, go back to your fifth grade social studies teacher and give her a stern talking to because she failed you. And also go pick up a coin. Those are the shiny little metal things that people sometimes use to pay for items. And look at the back and it says E Pluribus Unum. It is one of our founding principles out of many one because the United States is a beautifully unique country where we have people from all over the world from a variety of cultural and religious backgrounds and beliefs, but we are working together to make something new. We are creating a oneness, a new American culture, and it's beautiful. So that's where I got my podcast title from because I really just, I just want people to get along. How many of us have ever asked the question, why can't we all just get along? That is the question that I am trying to answer and that I'm trying to find a Like solution four, how can we all get along? Not all agree, but I'll get along and live in peace. So that's why I'm here. I assume that's why you're here or someone forced you to listen to the podcast, to which I say thank you because there are like three gajillion podcasts out there. You have very limited amount of time in your day and you could be listening to anyone, but you've chosen to listen to me. So I thank you so much for joining me on this journey through this conversation we're having today. And I do think of it as a conversation, even though I'm the only one talking. But if you would like to actually join the conversation, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook or Parlor at E Pluribus Unum Podcast. All one word. I post things there because that's what you do on social media. But I also would love to talk to you. So you can send me a DM on Instagram, a message on Facebook, or comment on something. I'd love to hear your questions. If you have thoughts, maybe topic ideas, anything like that, please follow me. I'd love to have you there. I've been thinking about the vaccine because I'm participating in something which either requires that I get the vaccine or bring in a doctor's note to say that I can't get the vaccine for whatever reason someone might have a medical issue that they can't get the vaccine. I understand why people want the vaccine, why they want large groups of people to have the vaccine so everyone can be safe. But if you can get a doctor's note and still participate, I mean, I guess they have to let you do that because they can't say your health issue disqualifies you from being included in this activity. But if a health issue is a legitimate reason to not get a vaccine, then why shouldn't personal preference not be a legitimate reason? What about my body, my choice? It's my body and I'm choosing what goes into it. Either 100% you have to get the vaccine in order to be with other people or you don't because you might have a health issue. And if you might have a health issue, but you can still participate in the thing, then you should be able to opt out for other reasons. And also it shouldn't be anyone's business. And I think we as adults really have to reinforce the idea that it's nobody's business I was at school recently teaching and one of the 
students asked me if I'd gotten the vaccine, and I very politely told him that that was a personal question. Because it is a personal question, but kids don't realize it's a personal question, and I'm listening to them talk to each other, asking if they've gotten the vaccine, if people's parents have gotten the vaccine. What right does some seven-year-old have to know about some other parents' medical choices? We have to be the examples for these kids to let them know that it is not appropriate to ask those questions and that they shouldn't expect an answer. I guess they can always ask the question, but be aware that it is not incumbent upon someone to share personal, private, medical information of any sort. And it's inappropriate and rude to ask. And on the whole idea of the vaccine card, remember how having an ID to vote is racist because some people don't have access to getting an ID, which is BS, by the way. And if you talk to people who have darker skin and ask them if they can't get an idea, can't get an ID, the idea is preposterous and insulting and they will tell you so. But why does that same logic not apply to a vaccine card? Like, why is it not racist to require people to have vaccine cards? I have no thoughts on what someone else does about the vaccine. You know why? Because it is not my business to care what someone else does to their body. Just like I don't care what other medications they take, what kind of exercise they do. The only person I care about is myself, my husband. Those are my responsibilities. Everyone else, do your own thing. And I know with the vaccine, there's this idea that taking the vaccine is a public duty because you're protecting other people, to which I ask the question, which I have still not received an answer to. If I get the vaccine, I'm protecting myself. So why do I care whether or not you've gotten the vaccine? The only person who's given an answer is Dr. Drew Pinsky, who I very much admire. And he said the reason the vaccine is important is because there's fear of other strains of COVID and the more general immunity that we have from the vaccine, the more, the, the better we'll be, the safer we'll all be, the less likely there's to be another global pandemic, which may be redundant because I think pandemic implies global, which is a convincing argument. I still are on the side of privacy and my body, my choice. I think we can have a really good discussion about our obligations to other people versus our right to privacy. And I think that's a legitimate discussion to have, but to just force people to get the vaccine and say, you have to get the vaccine in order to go back to school or in order to be on this soccer team or, you know, come to our concert venue, anything like that just feels wrong. It just feels wrong. And you know what? We got to trust our instincts. And if something feels wrong, something feels like it goes against what we as Americans hold to be of value, our liberty and our privacy and our right to make choices about our own lives. And I think it's okay to be hesitant about it. But also, if you want to get the vaccine, then go get the vaccine. Totally not my business and not anyone else's business. You do not have to answer to anyone who asks you the question. You can be polite about it. Say, thank you so much for caring about my health, but that's a private choice. Or throw it back in their face and I gave you some tips on how to do that. And if you want to go that route, which I don't necessarily condone because, as you know, my big thing is kindness to other people. But I know some people are in a very snarky mood these days. And if you need a little snark, go back a couple of episodes and you'll hear at the end of the episode 
my advice on how to respond to someone who asks you about whether or not you've gotten the vaccine. I want to talk about Israel very quickly on this episode. I really should dedicate a whole episode or maybe multiple episodes to Israel, but I just want to talk about the country and people's feelings towards Israel very briefly. So if you are a sentient human, you are aware that a few weeks ago, Hamas was sending rockets into Israel. And I say if you're a sentient human, you know this because I know this and I am so removed from the news. I don't watch the news. I don't read the news. I don't look at it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, nothing. I avoid it. And by the way, I'm three million times happier. I highly recommend it. But even I knew what was going on in Israel, which is partially due to the fact that I'm Jewish and it is a Jewish issue. And if you are a Jew and there are things happening in Israel that are of import, you know about it. People talk about it. People were praying for the innocent people in Israel and for the innocent people in Gaza. As Jews, we pray for peace and we pray for life for everyone. And we actually don't discriminate about who we pray for. It's uh, one of the pretty cool things about us. So that's what was happening in Israel. Let's be totally honest with ourselves here. If we heard about rockets being shot into any other country and children in that country having to hide in bomb shelters, the sympathy would be on the side of the people getting bombed. If rockets were going from Finland into Sweden, the sympathy would be with the Swedes. If they were going from Uganda into Congo, the sympathy would be with the Congolese. Anywhere else in the world, the sympathy would be with the innocent women and children and elderly and everyone else being attacked. For some reason, when it comes to Israel, the sympathy is with the Palestinians. And by the way, the Palestinians 100% deserve sympathy, but not sympathy because they're being oppressed at the hands of the Israelis, sympathy because they're being oppressed at the hands of their own people, at the hands of Hamas, at the hands of other people who wish to do them harm. It's the kind of people who have such an agenda that they don't even care about their own people. And we're going to Nazi Germany because that's just where we're going because that's a perfect example of this. At the end of the war, the Germans were losing, but Hitler cared so much more about annihilating Jews that he focused all his efforts there instead of buttressing his troops I mean, thank God, because they lost the war, who knows what could have happened had he buttressed his troops and done what he needed from a military perspective. But he was so full of hate that he didn't care about his own military, his own people. He just cared about annihilating Jews. And Hamas is in a similar situation. And other terrorists and other hateful people in the Arab and or Muslim Middle East, they so hate Israel and the Jews that they're willing to sacrifice their own people to their agenda of hurting Jews. If you are listening and you're a good person, you have sympathy for Israelis and you have sympathy for Palestinians. You have sympathy for innocent people whose lives are manipulated and oppressed by evil people. That is good people. That's how the majority of Jews feel. That's how the majority of Israelis feel. That should be how the majority of the world feels. Sympathy for Palestinians and Israelis. But for some reason, the narrative is hijacked and People have endless sympathy for Palestinians and none for Israel. And it's because they don't really know anything about Israel. There are so many lies about Israel. And the truth is, it all stems from anti 
Jewishness? Because why would people care so much about Israel? Like, how many other countries do you even have an opinion on their politics or what goes on there? I mean, just be honest. I care about the United States and I care about Israel. The reason I care about Israel is because I'm Jewish. But like, do I really care about France's elections or Luxembourg's elections or Australia? Like, kind of let them do their thing. Unless it, unless and until, you know, it starts to affect us, obviously, or could potentially. But pretty much, we're chill. Like, do you really care about Malaysia? Or India, you sort of let them be, right? But for some reason, you're told that you need to have an opinion on Israel. And I'm not saying you can't have an opinion on Israel. You can have a, an opinion on literally anything you want to. But if you're going to have an opinion on Israel, if any of us is going to have an opinion on anything, we should make sure that we are doing our research and our due diligence and not just listening to one source, but listening to and reading a variety of sources to make sure that we are coming to an intelligent opinion. But the fact that the anti-Israel stuff is anti-Jewish is so clear because Chinese are imprisoning Muslims. In the Middle East, they were annihilating Yazidis. There are people literally living on bark in North Korea. And people here, snooze fest. Nobody cares. People who profess to care so much about the oppressed and people who are at the bottom and blah, blah, blah. We care so much, but literally people are being annihilated in other parts of the world and we don't care. But in Israel, oi, we hear these terrible things and the Palestinians and blah, 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 so bad. And we cry for the Palestinians. Yeah, the Palestinians have problems. Mostly, it's their own problems. And in fact, I read a very interesting report that compared Palestinians to other countries in the Middle East, and actually, I think other countries in the world. And they're, they're not at the bottom in terms of happiness. In fact, in terms of happiness, they were pretty high in terms of wealth, in terms of education. Were there problems? Yes. But there were other countries which were way worse. So I'm not saying don't have sympathy for Palestinians. I'm not saying Palestinians are living a perfect, happy life. I am saying that the lies that they say that Israel is an apartheid state and then they're, they're, and that there's some sort of genocide against Palestinians is a lie. It's just a lie. And by the way, a Palestinian is basically a made-up human. But if you talked about a Palestinian like a hundred years ago, you'd actually be talking about a Jew because the area was called Palestine and there were Jews living there. So Palestinian is like this new group of oppressed people because for some reason we have to tell people that they're oppressed instead of lifting them up, which is actually disgusting that people do that because you could help people by raising them up, but instead you try to help people by bringing them down, but all you do is harm them. And what kind of person wants to bring another person down? But yeah, Israel is an apartheid state. South Africa was apartheid. Talk to someone about what South Africa looked like during apartheid and talk to someone about what Israel looks like today. Or I'll tell you a little bit about Israel today and you tell me if it sounds apartheid. Israel has 16 Arab members of parliament. There are 52 Arab judges in Israel the Arab political party is the third largest political party in Israel, third largest. And remember, they're a parliamentary system, not like here in the U.S., where we basically have Democrats and Republicans and all the other parties are, they don't really have much power. And a parliamentary system, being the third largest party actually means something. There is an Arab justice on the Supreme Court. The ambassador to Greece is Arab. There is an Arab IDF general. In 2004, Prime Minister Ariel Sharon declared that every state-run company must have at least one Arab citizen of Israel on its board of directors. So they were 
thinking about equity, diversity, and inclusion way before we were here in the U.S., the Arab population of Israel is 21%, and 85% of those Arabs are Muslim and the rest are Christian or something else. Does that sound apartheid to you? Does it even sound like segregationist southern U.S. during Jim Crow, which was not as bad as apartheid, but was still pretty bad? This is not the same thing. This is not even close to the same thing. This, what's happening in Israel, is democracy. This is inclusion. This is equality. This is people getting along. And in fact, if you talk to Israelis, because I remember after 9-11, I, I was afraid of Muslims. I was young also. I'd never met anyone who was Muslim. I never really heard about it until then. So I was afraid of Muslims. And I met an Israeli who told me not to be, that she was friends and everyone she knew was friends with Muslims, was friends with Arabs. It was no big thing. So Israel is not an apartheid state. Is it perfect? No, obviously not. There are a lot of problems, just like there are a lot of problems in the US. There are probably a lot of problems in England and in Italy and Egypt. Every country has its problems. None is perfect, but Israel does not deserve the ire it gets. It definitely doesn't deserve the anger and animosity compared to some other countries looking at you, China, North Korea, Mexico, a lot of corrupt countries in Africa, in the Middle East, like so many other countries deserve our scrutiny and our, well, we'll start at, on our judgment. And Israel is not even close to being on that list. Also, another just interesting thing, which I think points to the fact that all this anti-Israel stuff is really anti-Jewish. There was sympathy for the people of Dresden when it was bombed in World War II. Dresden is in Germany. Germany was the enemy, but there were books written right after the war and possibly even during the war, like Kurt Vonnegut, right? Sympathy for the people of Dresden. There's sympathy for the people in Japan, in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, after the bombs were dropped. And shortly after the bombs were dropped, not right away. The point is people could have sympathy for our actual enemies because we recognize that the loss of innocent lives is a tragedy, but there is no sympathy for the children and mothers and, and everyone in Israel who lives in fear and has to live in bomb shelters. Doesn't that sound like there's something a little bit wrong with our moral compass that we can't find sympathy for those people? Something to think about. All right, last thing for today. So I was listening to a podcast recently. It's called Judaism Unbound. There was an episode where the host interviewed a Karaite Jew. A Karaite or the Karaites is a specific type of Jew, type of Judaism, which focuses only on the Torah, the original five books of Moses, and does not follow the rabbinic Talmudic tradition, which we call the oral law, which most Jews today follow under the rabbinic tradition. Within that rabbinic tradition, there are more orthodox and more reform, but everyone pretty much is within that rabbinic tradition and Karaites are separate. It was a fascinating episode. I had heard about Karaites minimally, didn't know that there was somewhat of a thriving community and that the thriving community was primarily in Egypt, but also in Northern California, which is really fascinating. So at the end of the episode, the host was wrapping it up and saying and asking this Karaite about making sure that Karaite Jewish traditions were still included and not marginalizing Karaite Jews and making sure that we are inclusive of all marginalized groups in Judaism. 
like black Jews and women and gays. And his specific example was about, he called it a black holiday called Sigd and how most Jews don't celebrate it. I'd never heard of it, so I looked it up. And I knew as he said it, when he said that Jews marginalize and don't celebrate this black holiday called Sigd, I thought there's something is off here. You know, when you just, you know, from the way people talk about things that it's off and I knew it was off and I was right. Sigd is not a black holiday, not like Kwanzaa, which is for black people. Sigd is an Ethiopian holiday. We really have to understand the difference between a culture and a skin color. A skin color is a shallow marker of identification. That kid over there has blonde hair. That kid over there has dark skin. That kid over there has brown eyes. That's all skin color is. It's an indication of where you were born or at least where your ancestors came from and maybe how much sunblock you need to wear. That's it. Culture, though, is very different and culture is a lot more about who we are. Ethiopian is a culture. Black is a full spectrum of people from a variety of different places around the world, Africa and otherwise. So the fact that he called it a black holiday was, first of all, stupid, I think. But also the idea that this holiday is not being included because it's a black holiday in his terms was wrong. The Ethiopian Jewish community was almost entirely isolated from the rest of the Jewish world until the mid-20th century. We are just in the beginning of the 21st century. So what, only 70, 80 years ago were Ethiopian Jews reunited with the rest of Jewry in a really beautiful way. And they were airlifted out of Ethiopia into Israel, but they were isolated. So obviously the rest of the Jews around the world aren't celebrating this holiday because they didn't know it existed. They didn't even know Ethiopian Jews existed. Also, it's an Ethiopian holiday. So if my family is from Russia, which they are, why should I celebrate an Ethiopian holiday? And by the way, he's wrong that Jews don't celebrate it because, because in Israel, it's a state holiday and it's celebrated publicly. You know, like how on Thanksgiving, they pardon a turkey. Like there are public government celebrations of this holiday. So what he said was just so, it's like this weird desire to find all the oppression. And it's just like, that proves how, and like some sort of weird guilt thing. You find the oppression and you prove, oh my goodness, look, I'm aware that I'm an oppressive person. So now I'm okay. I don't, I don't understand that desire in people to find all the oppression everywhere. Like, I mean, we should fix real oppression where it exists, but real oppression, we don't need to find every little microaggression nonsense that em empower people. Don't take away their power by telling them that they're oppressed when they're not. Anyway, so Sigd is an Ethiopian holiday, which most Jews don't celebrate, but most Jews don't agree on a lot of things. The conservative movement just a few years ago decided that there are certain foods that can be eaten on Passover, which several hundred years ago couldn't be eaten on Passover. But now that we have different cooking and different food preparation methods, we can actually eat them on Passover. But that took hundreds of years. We've only known about Ethiopian Jews for like 70. I don't think it's going to be that quick of a change. Also, if we did celebrate it, me, Russian, in 
know, Russian descent Jew, is that cultural appropriation? Am I allowed to celebrate Sigt? Which sounds actually like a really nice holiday. And I, as you know, I'll celebrate National Cupcake Day and Sigd celebrates accepting the Torah and yearning for Israel and the temple. So much more meaningful. So if we all want to celebrate Sigd as a Jewish community, I'm all about it. The more holidays, the better. Is it cultural appropriation because I'm not Ethiopian? Or is it oppressive of a culture to not include them in culture? It's weird. People argued for, there seems to be a cycle, right? People argue that we're not inclusive of different people's cultures. So then we're inclusive of people's cultures and we eat different foods and wear different outfits and celebrate Cinco de Mayo. And then it's cultural appropriation. So now no one is, we're going to get to a point where people aren't celebrating Cinco de Mayo and not celebrating other people's cultures and everyone's just sticking in their little box. And then people will complain again that we're isolating people of different cultures. You can't really have it both ways. Either if you want people included, then we're going to include them and we're going to incorporate their culture into ours in ways that we can understand and ways that we can relate to. Or we'll say, you're over there. You go celebrate Cinco de Mayo. I'm going to celebrate Yom Kippur and let's not have anything to do with each other. I guess you tell me which one is better. I think it's better that we find maybe on Cinco de Mayo, I eat tacos because I really enjoy tacos. And I can't really think of any Jewish holidays that people have appropriated or even shown very remote interest in at all. People like to eat babka. Fine, great. You like to eat babka and you'll do it around Rosh Hashanah or whenever. And I'll have tacos and we'll all learn from each other and we'll figure out the things that we like and the things that maybe we don't like or things that just we don't need. And we can create some new, very cool culture, but you can't complain about not integrating culture, but then complain about when we integrate culture and call it appropriation. You just can't have it both ways. There is a Jewish concept that if you share an idea that isn't your own, you need to give credit to it. So my teacher said X, Y, and Z. This great rabbi said X, Y, and Z. This political person said X, Y, and Z. You give credit where credit is due, and it brings about the redemption. Whether or not the redemption is a reward for that kind of behavior or just a consequence of that behavior, you could look at it either way, but you're really supposed to give credit, not take credit for ideas and words that aren't your own. However, the teaching goes on a little bit further and says, if you have so integrated that idea into your personal values, into the way you live your life, into your worldview, you don't have to give credit anymore. For me, for instance, at the end of this podcast, I always end it off the same way. Always be a little bit kinder than necessary, which is a quote from J.M. Barry, who wrote Peter Pan. And I gave him credit for it the first few times I did the podcast, but now I have so integrated that concept, that thought into my way of life, into how I view the world, into how I interact with people, that I I don't say his name. I don't attribute it to him every time I say it because I've incorporated it. And I think this same idea applies for cultural appropriation, which I put in air quotes. You can't see the air quotes, but they're here. We know that Cinco de Mayo is a Mexican holiday, apparently a very minor Mexican holiday, but it's hard to know what will catch on. You know, the number one hit that everyone thought would be a B-side and ended up and ended up being the biggest song someone ever did. You never know what's going to hit and what's going to be popular. But we incorporate things, and it's the age-old adage, 
Again, age-old and adage might be redundant, but here we are. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. If we are appropriating things, if we are borrowing things, that's a good thing. It means we've taken an idea and it resonates with us and we enjoy it and we want to incorporate it into our lives. Just like, well, take a Jewish teaching and at first we might attribute it, but then we incorporate it into our lives. We might not incorporate Cinco de Mayo exactly the correct way. We might not incorporate feathers in our hair the same way Native Americans did. Or we might take jazz and then someone will add, I don't know, electronic, some sort of weird new agey music on top of it. But you're only incorporating the things you like. So it's a positive thing. And I think the Jewish idea of giving the attribution originally, but then ultimately becoming so one with something that you almost can't even remember the attribution or where it comes from. I think that's one of the things that we have in the U.S. and it's so cool. One of the teachers at the school where I teach was complaining or making a joke about Cinco de Mayo and how Americans just celebrate everyone else's holidays. And she said it derisively, but that's a beautiful thing that we celebrate other people's holidays. Does that happen when you go to Norway? Do they celebrate other people's holidays? Do Ugandans celebrate other people's holidays? Celebrating someone's holiday is like celebrating someone else's birthday. You're joining in their joy and their celebration. You're saying, this is a happy day for you. I want to be happy with you. I want to share in your positivity. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing about this country. This is a beautiful country that we live in and we are so blessed and so lucky to be here. And if I can leave you with anything today, it's just to remark, realize how amazing this country is and how lucky we are to live in a place where we have 500 different cereal options, where people stop at red lights and go at green lights, where people will let you go in front of them in line at the grocery store if they have 20 items in their cart and you have one, where you can walk down the street and see people who look differently than you, who dress differently, think differently, act differently, and you're both walking your dogs and you can say hi. That is amazing. We are so blessed and so lucky. And we can keep it going by always being a little kinder than necessary. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a review. And please share the podcast with anyone you think would benefit from some common sense and thoughtfulness. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at E Pluribus Unum Podcast. You can also find me on Locals at E Pluribus Unum Podcast.locals.com. The intro and end music is Chopin's Etude, Opus 10, Number 1 in C Major, known as the Waterfall Etude.